Hello, and welcome to the Learning Laborers Podcast, where we are passionate about integrating biblical scholarship with ministry. Well, we're here for part two, Taylor. Uh Uh-huh. Part two of our series on aliens, maybe an unexpected topic. You might not have thought we'd be covering this. But we're actually going to cover it more than most topics. (laughs) So, No uh, offense to our other guests and their topics, but this is pretty important. Taylor has uh, determined this is a primary issue. Yeah, this is a really weird hobby (laughs) that I have stumbled into. It sucked me in like I can't get out, man. I get it now. I get it now while people fall down this rabbit hole of like alien stuff. And I'm not even like in the conspiracy side of things. I'm just thinking about the implications. Well, you're thinking and we're praying. We're praying for you. So, <laughs> Well, thank you. That, that's, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, but uh, we do encourage people, if they didn't hear part one of the, the series, to go back and re- listen to it. Uh, that way they're not kind of just jumping into the middle of the conversation and confused about why Taylor is obsessed with aliens or yeah. whatnot. <laughs> and, and just, I mean, just to recap, it is, it, the, we're not doing this just because, you know, it's a fun, entertaining conversation, though it is. Yeah. I think it's becoming more of something in the culture that we have to talk about. You know, like there's an old adage in pastoral ministry that um, a pastor should have a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. You ever heard that? Denver Mm -hmm. yeah this is kind of an outworking of that because this is like it's it's being talked about a lot yeah and I mean even recently I've got I got another clip for us actually oh yeah at the time of this recording um the latest alien news concerned Mexico did you see this I did hear about this yeah yeah this is a check this out the mummies Scientists in Mexico pulling back the curtain on what they believe are aliens and put two Uh, of those corpses on display. Uh, Take a look. Uh, These small mummified specimens were unveiled at Mexico's first ever UFO hearing yesterday. Yeah, it looks like E.T. You're right. Uh, The (laughs) alleged alien corpses were found in Peru. They're believed to be 700 to 1,800 years old. Mm. They only had three fingers and elongated heads. X-rays of the aliens were also shown, and experts say one of the bodies has eggs inside of it. Hmm. Maybe we could have alien babies. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, "Hmm." alien babies. So Uh, we're not going to dive into that. Honestly, it sounds super suspicious to me (laughs) right off the bat. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to justify these claims or to argue right. for them. Right. And last last episode, we kind of um, took some time to show how this topic has become very popular um, mm-hmm. in the culture at large. So the congressional hearings, now the mummies uh, in Mexico. Alien you know, we've mummies. Had, we've had, what, 50, 70 years of people reporting UFOs, UAPs, abductions, all this kind of stuff. So it's been in the air, but it seems like it's kind of been kicked up a notch Uh recently. And so this episode, we're going to kind of move forward from that Uh to talking about the implications of, we heard some Christian responses in the last episode about how people respond to this. 
um, whether that's trying to find aliens in the Bible, right, to to show how the Bible, oh look, it knows about this. This isn't, you know, God's not surprised by this, or the Bible's not surprised by this. Um, but we, this week, are going to talk not about do they exist, but assuming they did, if we hypothetically thought aliens existed, uh-huh. would that change our theology? Would that change the way we read the Bible? What mm-hmm. are the implications? And so, Taylor, I know you researched this a lot. Yep. Um, maybe more than what's healthy. No. <laughs> Uh, I'll take it. You researched this a lot and are going to walk us through it. So I'm excited uh, to hear what you come across. Yeah, it feels a little unhealthy here recently, but (laughs) hoping this could be kind of my capstone project on this topic and then I can just leave it alone. There you go. Uh, But I think the first thing we need to say is this, that the existence of aliens itself can be consistent with Christian belief. Okay. So um, there's an article back in 2008, actually, with ABC News, and they note that some people say that finding aliens would be a bad thing for Christians. So Jill Tarter, she's the director of the Center for SETI Research. Do you know what that stands for? I don't. SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Life. Okay. Um but Jill Tarter says, finding intelligent otherworldly life would be inconsistent with the existence of God or at least organized religions. Hmm. So there's this, uh, you hear this a lot with some non-Christians, um, uh, but the article goes on, such predictions tend to come from outside Christianity. From within, theologians have debate, debated the implications of alien contact for centuries. I've seen this a few times. Most of the people that I see saying aliens are inconsistent are either atheists or non-Christians. But there's also a contingency of what you could call fundamentalist Christians or just evangelicals more broadly um, that see it as inconsistent with the Christian faith. Okay. So there's a professor of astronomy at Vanderbilt um, who's done some work on this. It's funny. At first, I could only find like one or two books I was dealing with the theological implications. And then once you start to do research, you find a bunch of people are doing this. But one of those Mm -hmm. is this guy at Vanderbilt. And he provides three categories of arguments that evangelicals and fundamentalist Christians use to find aliens to be inconsistent with Christianity. So there's three things that they usually appeal to to say, no, this is why aliens is not consistent with Christian belief. Okay. And so since they're since they're Christian, they'd be saying, therefore, aliens can't exist is kind of exactly. where they're going. Okay. Yeah, they're Christians and they're saying it can't exist. First category of argument is that the Bible is silent on the matter. We've already talked about this in our last episode, right? Okay. Second, that ideas of other life are put forward on the basis of evolution, which is taken to be false. That's the second one. And then third, it causes inextricable theological problems. Largely to do with sin and redemption. With sin and redemption. Yeah, so there's three things there. They're saying aliens can't be real because they're not in the Bible. Aliens can't okay. be real because we're finding aliens using evolution and evolution's wrong. <laughs> and if aliens were true, it creates problems, theological problems, uh, specifically with sin and redemption. Okay. So we talked, yeah, we talked about the first one last time mm-hmm. about how there's a lot of things that aren't in our Bibles and that doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah. I mean, the straightforward answer is the biblical authors didn't know about this. Right. I mean, they didn't know about aliens and that's okay to say. Right. It'd be different if there was like a verse in the Bible that specifically said there's no such thing as 
life outside of our this this world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's not. Yeah, and again, we talked a lot about that in the last episode, so we don't have to rehash it. But, um, yeah, that that shouldn't be a problem to us. The whole evolution thing—that's a whole other can of worms. About you know, some Christians are very threatened by the prospect of evolution as mm-hmm. kind of a biological scientific system. Um, yeah, I I don't think we need to be threatened by evolution. We sh- we should be careful about you know naturalism and assuming everything has a naturalistic cause, which is sure. often in that uh, we're, certain aspects of Darwinism or Darwinism. But I don't think we should fear evolution either. Yeah, well, and even that argument's kind of a non-starter because even if you did hold to a model of creation that didn't include evolution, I mean, you could still imagine aliens being created without evolution. Right. Right. Like it. Like, what is to stop God from creating aliens on another planet ex nihilo or, or you know, out of the dust of that planet? Right. Yep, good point. But this third category of concern is the one that we're going to lean into. People okay. believe, there's some fundamentalist Christians and also some in the evangelical tradition that believe if aliens existed, it creates theological problems. Okay. And I'm going to say that it doesn't create theological problems. It creates theological opportunity. Yeah. Or puzzles. 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 (laughs) There you go. Everybody likes a good puzzle. Yeah, yeah. So, and I just want to kind of shift that a little bit, and that's going to be a major thing that we're talking about, so I'll just say it again, like here. This is an opportunity to really revisit some good questions and to theologize. Um, right. I really do think that. So I've, as I've said before, um, we have Christians who are doing this. Really, really thoughtful Christians. Um, there's a NASA chief historian um, who talks about this. He has a book called The Biological Universe. But he says in the history of like kind of scientific discoveries, like, uh, you know, the Copernican theory or Darwin, Darwin. Religion doesn't go away. It adapts and it finds Mm. ways to adapt. And he says the same thing will happen with aliens or extraterrestrial life. Good religion, religious thought will find ways to adapt. And I think Mm. we have some good examples of that in two scholars I want to present to us today. We talked about them last time. Michael Heiser and then Andrew Davison. Okay. All right, the first one is Michael Heiser. Uh, Michael Heiser is a very interesting scholar. He's gained um, popularity for his work on like spiritual beings, mm-hmm. divine counsel, angels, demons. Um, and again, those sound like fringe topics. Like, you know, like, oh, we can, you can kind of have some people that like love right. to talk about that stuff and kind of can sound a little wacky. Um, but Heiser actually brings like top-notch scholarship, I think, to these issues. Uh, he's very well researched. He knows a ton of Semitic languages and ancient Near Eastern languages and texts. Um, he works really closely with Faith Life and a big partner of Logos Bible Software. But he's the real deal. Yeah, recently passed away, right? Yeah, just recently passed away. Just sad. Yeah, but um, he's got he's his work lives on in a lot of ways. I think. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but one of the topics he's delved into is this topic of aliens. Uh, he has a whole documentary about it. He has some other videos as well. As well, I wasn't able to find anything like in his published books about it. I didn't search all of okay. his published books, but I I just wasn't able to find it. Um, but his documentary is a good place to start. All right. Just and how he is a um, confessional Christian steeped in biblical scholarship, and this is how he comes to the the alien issue. Okay, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes for people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, he does that I think is important to draw out as it relates to having conversations with people about this um, is he talks about how we can explain a- alien narratives. Alien narratives meaning what? Like when people talk about aliens, there's usually a big yep. kind of story behind all of it. Like people aren't just saying aliens are real. They're typically mm. packaging a lot of other sh- narrative elements in there, like um, the government cover-up uh, is involved, okay. or you know, there's an ancient alien. Oh, sure. Like the idea that aliens planted humans on this world, and right. like a meta narrative. Yeah. So this is his big thing: is he really wants to? Uh, this is, I think, a major contribution of what he brings to the conversation is he says you got to separate those things out. You got to separate okay. each piece out. And so in the documentary, he really talks about two conversations. One, there's a government cover up kind of component to this. And two, there's a demonic component to this. Um, okay. So I'm not going to speak a lot about the government cover up stuff because it's really not much of what I'm concerned about. Yeah. Um, and, and to clarify, when he talks about government cover up, he's not talking about covering up the existence of aliens but using aliens as like a smokescreen as a cover up exactly for other things that the government's doing is that right yeah he says that basically the alien narrative for america in post-world war ii was more convenient than really uh, showing what the government was up to with like doing these experiments on humans and stuff like this right Using Nazi technology and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, not 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 fun stuff at all. Um, so that's one thing that he kind of, uh, the big first section of his documentary goes into that. But the main point he makes is um, how there could be demonic tie-ins to a lot of these things. He says a mm. lot of the alien conversation has spiritual messaging tied to it. Um, okay. And so I want to play a clip from the documentary. It's a little over a minute, but it gets at this whole idea of the spiritual messaging that could be intertwined in this alien conversation. Okay? Got it. Again, this is a, this is a wide, far-ranging kind of subject, and at least part of it is really about, apparently, spiritual messaging. And who, who's going to be interested in spiritual messaging except spiritual beings? Okay, so you have competitors to God who have their own kind of message to direct humanity away from the truth. And it's very convenient, again, to use a certain set of ideas. But here we are in the 20th century okay, with these contactee events. And so I, I view all th- this part of ufology as really nothing more than intelligent, demonic beings using old lies and repackaging them for a 20th and 21st century audience. 
what to a 20th and 21st century person would be godlike? An extraterrestrial. It's very simple. It's, it's an intelligent being that isn't us. It's not part of the animal kingdom. It's so transcendent when compared to us that it becomes a very convenient vehicle. Very ominous clip uh, <laughs> in the background yeah, the there. Background, yeah, the background music. But um, do you catch what he's saying? He's talking about this one strand of kind of this the topic of aliens, specifically the contactee portion, which is dealing with like alien abductions, people having sure. like conversations or like telepathic moments with aliens. And he's saying a lot of that sounds demonic. A lot of it sounds like what um, we see with ancient kind of Gnosticism or other ancient like Semitic demonology and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And he really, I'll play one more clip that kind of summarizes his view um, just to kind of give more of a sense of it. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, I think, to make a separation between the question of could there be other alien life forms out there and all of this other stuff. Uh, what people allege to, you know, have been contacted by aliens or abducted by aliens. I think the better way to process those things is not alien life, but some kind of malevolent, sinister, demonic, spiritual phenomenon that's happening. In other words, they're not extraterrestrials. We have no proof that they're extraterrestrials. And it's sort of muddying the waters. It's sort of ruining uh, what could be a good, interesting intellectual discussion that the church has had for centuries and even millennia. It's sort of poisoning that water because of the influence of uh, spiritual sinister forces that have become part of the narrative and that are actually being used or used themselves the whole question of other worlds to create uh, sort of an acceptance of very anti-Christian and non-Christian thinking. So you see what he's saying there? He's saying... You have like the real scientific kind of possibility of, you know, many worlds or life out there that mm -hmm. we could be exploring and wrestling through. But the like contactee movement and alien abduction movement kind of poisons the whole conversation. Okay. Is that make, does that make sense with what he's saying? Yeah, I think so. Like as a distraction almost. Right. So like, I think that is something to be really really cognizant of um as christians we believe there's a spiritual realm a non-material realm it's populated by satan and demons evil deceptive powers right okay so we need to discern need to discern what we are hearing about aliens and make sure that we are not too easily being sucked into like deceptive ideologies yeah and whatnot like one of the things that supposedly um based on his research heiser noticed about these abduction narratives is that they talk about Jesus sometimes. Um, I think he may even say like most of the time he noticed this, but I, I don't want to press that too much. But they talk about Jesus and just being like an alien and things like that. So they try to like demote okay. Jesus in these interactions. And that's just like, that can be really, really dangerous as we start kind okay. of even talking about this, you know? Right. So he's not necessarily discounting these that these people had an experience of some kind that uh -huh. they're sharing but that maybe the source of this experience are demonic powers, mm -hmm. powers of evil that are, that are intentionally trying to um, put out this spiritual messaging, these messages right. about that 
that detract from the Christian message, right? Um, or that critique Jesus or mm-hmm. uh, the God of the Bible, these kinds of things. Right. And so I think that's the most valuable thing that Heiser does is say, hey, let's take this portion of the conversation and put that over here. Like, don't don't let that part of the conversation spoil or poison the rest of the conversation, which is has to do with, you know, the scientific probability of alien life. Right. Um, and some of the stuff with like, you know, it doesn't explain the, the like the demonic delusion theory doesn't explain these testimonies of non-human spacecraft or non-human biologics being found by our government and all this stuff. It doesn't explain everything, but right. it separates it, you know? Okay. And I think that's helpful. Like when you're having a conversation with someone, it's like kind of split yeah. the conversation into what's maybe conspiratorial, possibly demonic, and then really talk about, you know, the other aspect. Okay. So I think what that leaves us is, uh, Heiser talks about this at the end. I won't play a clip, but he says, um, that, that leaves us to really tackle the bigger questions of the possible theological problems of just astrobiology or alien life. Like we can really start sorting through those questions. Right. So someone's done a lot of serious thinking on this. Big question is Andrew Davison. He's one of the foremost scholars working between theology, philosophy, and natural sciences at the University of Cambridge. Um, in 2014, NASA awarded uh, the Center for Theological Inquiry at Princeton to do this study on like the social implications of astrobiology, uh-huh. which also included like theological implications. And Davison was one of the theolo- theologians working on this. Okay. So he just came out with a book this year entitled Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine, Exploring the Implications of Life in the Universe. And he really treats Thomas Aquinas as his kind of like guard guiding star. Um, okay. He's, he's a Thomist. So he takes a lot of kind of Aquinas's thoughts and theology, and then he starts going through these big theological questions. And he really models like a series of theological questions, almost acting like dominoes, where you need to tease this out piece by piece. Okay? Because this is the thing that I've started to realize with all of this is the big theological implication really has to do with the nature of Christ and who Jesus is. That's like the big theological question um, in light of this. Right. But before you even go there, uh, you have a bunch of other questions you need to answer. (laughs) Like, before you even talk about, like, okay, what does this do to the incarnation, for instance? That's a big theological thing. You have to understand what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to, you know, be in the image of God? Uh, Yada, yada. There's just a bunch of questions. So I think Davison models this really well in his book. Like, he's very methodical. He's very thoughtful. It's dense. It's probably some of the most dense reading I've done in a while. <laughs> but um, he goes from, like, the doctrine of creation to humanity to Jesus, and he ends with, like, eschatology. And he, what he's doing is he's looking at all these doctrines, and he's saying, okay, what does alien life do to this? 
Um, and he also takes a historical approach where he's looking at different theologians, including like, you know, reformers and some modern guys as well. Okay. Um, so it's really good. But what I thought I could do, um, there's no way I could really get into the arguments that he makes because they're, again, they're dense. Um, but what I can at least pose to us today is the questions and give a range sure. of answers to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're just, we're just going to try and work through these. Okay. Got it. We don't have any Hit fun. Me with them. And we don't have any fun clips here. We're just talking about doctrines and stuff. So, sorry. Um, but the first question that we really need to ask, and I didn't think to ask this question, but is this one. Is the nature of God as such to create non-human alien life? Like, would God create non-human alien life? Based on his nature, on his character. Yes. And so what you start to see are these arguments um, of plenitude and fullness started to be made. Like, if we have a humongous universe, mm-hmm. right? I mean, humongous is an understatement. You just have a massive universe. What is it in the nature of God to fill that universe with living beings or not? And um, different theologians have different ways to answer it. But I think one of the one of the big responses uh, for many is that yeah, it seems in God's nature to form matter and then fill it. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the theological like arguments for the possibility of alien life. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Can we think about the creation narrative in Genesis one of the 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 problems that God is setting out to solve is tohu vabohu. Right. You know, wild and waste or formless and void. As like void as in uninhabitable without life. Right. And so God sets out to to change that and right. fills you know, every, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you, every biome that our earth has, mm. you can find life there. Right. As uninhabitable as it might seem, you know, the middle of the Sahara Desert or yep. the bottom of the, the ocean floor. Somehow there's creatures who've adapted to living in those harsh environments that yep. there is that, um, it seems like, desire to to fill his creation with life. Yeah, I think it's a strong argument. I really do. Um, so that's, that's kind of one place to begin. And I think that leads you then, okay, say there is alien life out there. And there's a lot of other questions like, would God make it as such that we wouldn't know about them or that they wouldn't know about us, blah, blah. I mean, there's all these little questions in between, but I'm just trying to pick out some big ones. But if there is alien life, would they be in the image of God or would they be the image of God? Um, and just off the cuff here, Denver, what would your initial thought be? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I I guess the first thing I'd want to do is kind of figure out these different categories of alien life because, you know, that first question: Would God create non-human alien life? Uh, almost like you know how we think about plants and animals, uh-huh. not necessarily intelligent life, uh-huh. um, not necessarily self-aware, self-conscious. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, would be one thing. Whereas an intelligent being, a self-aware being, uh, would be another thing. So one could argue, yeah, maybe God's put other, you know, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be plant and animal because those are specific Mm -hmm. um, kingdoms, right? I think kingdoms is the technical scientific word. Uh, You know, it wouldn't be animal or plant, but like some kind of, we would maybe say less intelligent 
life out there would be one thing, whereas an intelligent being on some other planet. Like a rational being. Yeah, yeah, rational being would be, I think then that, yeah, it would raise that question. Is that being in the image of God? Yeah. If God created them and they're rational. I mean, I guess it forces us to ask the question about spiritual beings too. It's like, are spiritual beings created in the image of God? They definitely reflect God. Yeah. Can, I mean, I don't know. What's the answer to that question? Yeah, there, he goes into that a little bit, like angels being uh, the image of God in the heavenly realm. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's some, there's a lot of ways that this can branch out. Sure. But, um, and he goes into like different ways to understand the image and all of this. I think one of the helpful things to think about here is that, yes, the image of God sets apart humans in, in creation. It seems to be a distinguishing thing for us yeah but does that does not mean that um we're necessarily superior Mm -hmm. to all created things either and i think that's one of the things that like you know aliens they seem to have based on some testimonies some like exceptional technology that we can't even understand they seem to be of superior intellect Mm -hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know they're superior image bearers or we're not image bearers because they're more superior. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So that's one thing to consider. And then I think what Davison does really well is he draws out how how okay, as image bearers of God, we are finite beings that reflect an infinite God. Yeah. So there that leads to the possibility that there's other image bearers that can reflect God. Uh, in a different way than we do. Right. Right. Like you're talking, like we don't exhaust the image of God as human beings. Right. And there can be another being that has the image. It's not competitive. Okay. um, Is one of the things he talks about. So he really opens the door to, especially if you understand the image of God as a functional kind of role, which is part of it. Right, like uh-huh. image of God in Genesis is um, also kind of like this, this uh, role as vocation. Yeah. Right, it's vocational. We're supposed to represent God on Earth on uh, on His behalf. If there's other space, other areas where God needs to be represented in the cosmos, then it would make sense that He has other image bearers doing that. Right. Um. Yeah, because in the in the creation account, I mean, humans are they're kind of they're given stewardship of the earth, and that's kind of the realm that they're expected to mm-hmm. to rule, you know, and that includes the air and um, the waters and the mm-hmm. land mm-hmm. in the Genesis one account, but doesn't necessarily include the heavens, the mm-hmm. what is what is beyond right. our earth doesn't necessarily include that. Yeah, so our vocation as God's image bearers is in some sense bound to this earth, this world. Mm-hmm. And so if there was another planet, another world that was habitable, mm-hmm. that was outside of our dominion, our you know stewardship, then you would think, yeah, would there be a being or, or, or a species of being that's been given stewardship of that planet? Yeah, it makes, it, it really, um, I came to that question originally like, no, I think this is a distinctly human thing that would you know set us apart you know, image of God, it's very like, almost like a holy category, it feels like. Um, but he really argued for the possibility 
that. No, I think there could be other image bearers. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's an option on the table. And it has a lot of implications then for for where we go next. Right. Like another question. So, okay, there's aliens. We're, we're just going to keep assuming things and stacking these assumptions on each other. But there's aliens on other planets um, seemingly have a relationship with God maybe possibly in the image of God as well in a different way in their realm. Mm-hmm. Um, would they be fallen or not? And uh, you meant, you mentioned the last time the work of C.S. Lewis, he really kind of draws out this imaginative exercise, right? He does, yeah. In his second book in his, the Space Trilogy, yeah, um, Paralandra, yeah, he, he explores the idea of uh, the main character, I think his name's Ransom, shows up on this world where it's like this very watery world. It's like an ocean, and the land is very kind of, um, it's not fixed. It's like it moves with the waters and stuff. It's it, it's really, it's an interesting imaginative world. Yeah, but yeah. Ransom comes across these characters who are basically meant to represent the, they are the kind of Adam and Eve of their own world. Uh-huh. He arrives at this planet kind of right at uh, the the start of the drama. You know, it, it, there's not this civilization that's been developed, but it's this newly created place, and and they're there's uh, they're struggling through the same thing that Adam and Eve did of being given a command and then mm-hmm. being de- deceived and uh, ransom and en- enters into that story too. But yeah, it is all that to say it is a question that this raises is not, Mm -hmm. you know, we tend to think of our fall as being this big deal that affects all of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it certainly, I think, affects our world, this Mm -hmm. this planet. But would it affect other planets? When sin comes into the world, is it coming into the entire cosmos? Did we bring death to to every solar system? We ruined it. For everybody. <laughs> or would they all have their own opportunities right. to either trust what God says is good and not good? And there is something in Genesis, right, when when the man and woman sin, uh, it seems like their environment suffers, right? And then in Romans 8, Paul will be like, you know, creation itself is groaning for the sons of God to show back up. It's like they're yeah. in this. So there is this effect, it seems, between... You know, at least the image bearer's failure on behalf of God, which includes some sort of stewardship of creation, when that gets messed up, creation itself um, could be messed up. But again, does that yeah. extend beyond to different worlds? I I don't know. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, we have no way to know. I would we, say we don't know. So, but I think both options there. Like this is what Davison does through these. It's like it's really showing you what you assume. Sure. And what are your kind of default about how these things work? Like, how did the fall work and what effects did it actually have? Yeah. Um, and it just sends you down the kind of that loop. So right. we got to, I want to keep moving here so we don't. Yeah. Because each of these questions are are just packed with. Entire cans of worms <laughs> of their own. Like I was thinking about, how, well, wouldn't it suck if one day we find out that our world is one of, you know, 100,000 planets that have been created but ours is the only one that that fell fell and had these problems it's like the humans oh no oh man yeah that'd be unfortunate what a what a funny thought 
Okay, so if they are fallen, yeah. Before we talk about the incarnation, would it be possible for aliens to be saved? We have to ask that question. Is it possible? Because we know of a category in scripture, right? You have fallen angels, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they don't have an opportunity to be saved. Right. We see no salvation opportunity for them. Okay. So the same could be said if you have fallen angels. It doesn't mean that they would have to be saved. Um, True. So that's on the table. But again, kind of back to the question I was asking before, would they need the human incarnation of Jesus for redemption or salvation? Or would they need their own incarnation? So this is where um, we start talking about how would aliens get saved? And Davison provides several options. He actually has a really helpful diagram in his book on page 188 if you end up buying it and want to look at it. Um, but there's there's three main main ways to go about like how aliens would get saved. There's the single incarnation view, which says that okay. our incarnation, the human incarnation of Jesus become human, God become human, could be salvific for creatures everywhere. That's one way to start conceptualizing this. So that would also have implications. We would need to evangelize about this and things. Okay. You know, Davison devotes um, most of his book really on the idea of multiple incarnations, uh, that there would be, I guess, you know, species specific incarnations. Maybe species isn't the right word, Um, but like kind of, you know, alien life would need their own incarnation of God. Yeah, that would be bizarre to think about. Yeah, so he goes through this. I mean, again, he devotes like six chapters to it. I think that I think that that helps. I think uncover some really helpful assumptions that sometimes we have about the incarnation of Christ as a human, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of times people miss the fact that the New Testament declares that Jesus is still a human. Yeah. Even now at the right hand of the Father and will forever be a human. That he it's not a temporary incarnation. Right. It is a um persistent incarnation. And so uh-huh. You know, if it was this temporary thing where, you know, maybe for these 30 years Jesus was a human or the Christ, you know, the son was um a human and then there was a different 30 years where he was a you know, another alien species and then a different 30, you know, as if he could jump from one to the other. But the fact that that the New Testament is pretty clear about him being human now and forever, uh, uh. then you would have, you would have, um, not Jesus, but the this Christ figure, the, the son, this person of the Trinity, existing in multiple physical oh, yeah, bodies pretty... simultaneously... <laughs> It's brain bending for sure. Yeah. So then you would look at the right hand of the father and you'd see a, a whole, a group of, a group, <laughs> a group. of. Uh, That's fascinating. Yeah. Or maybe when you look at the sun, you see him in the, as, as your, your species. I don't know. This, yeah. It's getting weird. It's getting weird. <laughs> this is where it starts to get really dicey. And again, he spends so much space on it because, um, I think he really wants to argue that that's on the table. Like multiple incarnations is on the table. A lot of okay. people don't even want to consider it, but I think he wants to argue that it's it's theologically sensical and possible. And even at some points, he says it might be suitable to what's needed for redemption. Okay. So you have the 
how aliens get saved, single incarnation view, multiple incarnations view, and then, you know, they could be redeemed a, a whole nother way that we don't even really understand. You know, like, okay. It, there could be another just way of redemption for them that we don't know. So, but those are all, all available. And then the last chapter, I think was really interesting. It's on eschatology. Like, what does this do to our view of the end? If there's alien life out there, how does that change our view of the end times? Um, and it really start, made me to start um, like imagining what new creation looks like. You know, the new heavens yeah. and the new earth. Sure. A lot of times we talk about people of all tribes and tongues, you know. But also, there's now this vision of like all these alien life forms in that. <laughs> like, um, he has this quote. He says, "Creation contain could contain many different forms of rational being, but spread far apart in time and space, and therefore unaware of each other." Right. The eschaton, however, would bring them together, allowing sentient creatures, perhaps in the common vision of God, to rise to a new awareness of one another. In the new creation, a previously unknown commonality among creatures would become known and celebrated. What an interesting image, you know? It is. But at the same time, does that detach our view of the eschaton from our physical space and physical world because like I imagine if mm. there are alien creatures on other planets awaiting the eschaton they're expecting their world to be made new and to exist on their world in a new creation whereas we're expecting to exist on this world in a new creation you know what I mean yeah so that's the other part of it so you have this part where like, okay, it kind of expands the eschaton just, and it can feel very inclusive. But the other part is it could really jostle our human-centered vision of the end. Yeah. Like we think when human history ends, the eschaton will come. And what he starts to kind of expose is there's a possibility that human history ends long before the eschaton comes, you know? If it is yeah. beyond our world. So he says, if the universe is home to a great many sentient species and cultures, and if God relates to them as intimately and directly as God relates to us, then it becomes arbitrary to place human beings at the center of the timing of the eschaton. Yeah. I guess the pushback to that would be that in the descriptions of the eschaton and the return of Christ in the New Testament, it's seems to be assumed that it's a moment of interruption where hmm. where you know God interrupts the flow of human history right uh, you know this thief in the night you don't know when he's coming be ready mm-hmm. um, to show up it seems to be assumed by the New Testament writers and by Jesus that the end is going to happen within the flow of human history Sure. Um, now, Jesus also said that he even he didn't know the day or the hour. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. He um, Davison compares it to like he said it. It is jarring to think about this because it does does shock some some sensibilities to what you're saying. And he said, but there's a, a framework we can adopt that's in the New Testament of like a delayed return. Like mm-hmm. you know how the early church kind of had to start adapting to this idea that Jesus wasn't going to come back tomorrow. <laughs> sure which seems to be some of their thoughts. Um, Like we could adopt kind of the same, um, you know, 
uh, what is it? Not like like modulation. We could start to adapt in certain ways as well. But I agree right. with you. I th- I'm I'm still on the fence about that one. But uh, it does get you thinking. Yeah, it does. And then like the physical space is like we th- talk about the new heavens and the new earth, right? Right. So and this this collision and not not collision that makes it sound negative. This coming together of heaven and earth mm-hmm. in Revelation, right, where heaven comes down and heaven and earth are are made one again. But when I mean we're talking about earth world, we're talking about this planet specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So I still think there there's this idea of not just there's not just potentially gaps in time. There's also gaps in space. Mm, that's a good point. Like would we be aware of these other beings even if in the eschaton or would we have to travel to to see them or to travel to to meet them maybe we could travel to see them in this new space maybe like jesus walked through walls i mean and i was thinking about that earlier <laughs> say there isn't intelligent life out there but there is life yeah non-rational life i mean could an eventual part of our role in the new creation be venturing out and finding these habitable planets and stewarding life on the in those oh. places and um i mean you can almost imagine this this seemingly infinite you know as the un- the universe is so large yeah. role of going to find these places and stewarding life and creating little gardens yeah you know in in other worlds i don't know that's interesting that gives us our eternal labor that's our eternal working and keeping the garden type of thing yeah yeah Give us a lot to do. Yeah, that's a lot to do. Okay, so, you know, I think that was was a good example of if you really just start to think about these things and allow it to enter your your imagination, um, it can do a lot of good. In short, if there are aliens out there, we have a lot of theological options available to us. We don't need to be scared. I really think we have a plurality of options. Uh, theologically. We can adapt. I think it will take some work, some deep thinking, maybe uncomfortable thinking with some things, but I think that can be good for us. Yeah. You know? It's not a theological problem. I think it's a theological opportunity. Good. Um, so Davison, this is how he closed out his book. I think it's a it's a good quote. The themes covered in this book are of use not only as part of preparation for addressing future needs. In addressing them, Theological attention to astrobiology will already pay off today, and not only tomorrow, in offering fresh angles on familiar topics. So what he's saying is this isn't just preparing us to, you know, theologize tomorrow. It's helping us theologize today. Yeah. Getting fresh angles. It's true. Familiar topics. So I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that it's leading us to talk about the incarnation and what that means leading us to talk about the eschaton and what that looks like leading us to talk about what is the fall and how does mm-hmm. it function within creation it's all really important questions that yeah it gives us a new angle to come at it from yep um to kind of poke holes so that we can um explore it deeper and, and hopefully come out with a even with a stronger and more robust yeah theology I want to end here just with some real practical things and this will be a sure. quick, 
quick ending. You know, it's like I'm landing the it. plane in pastor land language. The uh, land the UAP. There you go. Look at that. We're already adapting. Um, so say you have someone in your congregation or ministry context that's asking you about this. I, I think four things. I got four things for you. Got it. Number one, try to identify their specific anxiety if they have one and then try to speak to that. So are they worried about alien life existing? Why? Why are they anxious about that? Because it's not in the Bible. We can talk about that. Because alien messes up a Christian understanding of what it means to be human. We can talk about that, right? Try to identify the specific thing. Ask really good questions. Um, Secondly, assure them that Christians have been talking about this for centuries. And there are current serious theologians sorting out the implications. Yeah. So one of the things that's on this, like Christians aren't behind the ball on this. They're not. Yeah. Like they uh, even throughout history, uh, Davison's book shows this like for centuries, they've been talking about many worlds and things like that. Like going back to Thomas Aquinas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he was thinking about. Not like aliens, but like the idea of many worlds. Huh. A multiverse. Uh, yeah. And like, you can also extrapolate some things with like people who have never heard about Jesus or like unreached okay. people groups. Kind of, he uses that to like extrapolate some implications. Okay. But they've been talking about this for centuries, and they're doing so right now um, in a really helpful way. And <laughs> like we've said, this is a real opportunity to revisit some age-old questions, which is the third thing. Third thing: invite them to allow this moment to spark their own theological inquiry. Yeah. So as we said, theology is at its best when new circumstances cause us to return to those basic questions and scrutinize familiar answers. As Davison says, fresh angles to familiar topics. Yeah. And I've seen it. And kind of attached to that advice is also um, learning as you know ministers, pastors, uh, whatever role we're in, to point them to good resources. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's good. To to Christians who are thinking about this in healthy ways, because um, there are definitely a lot of, you know, <laughs> resources on social media and stuff that maybe aren't doing it in a healthy way. Yeah, and that really plays into my last last one. I use I just had three, but I added this fourth one the more I've thought about it. Okay. Uh, so fourthly, in terms of cultural popularity, train your people to see this human desire for a master story. Mm-hmm. What I've seen, and this is, um, you know, Joe Rogan is a popular podcaster. I don't listen to him very much, but he has these alien guys on quite a bit. (laughs) And just recently he had one on post-congressional hearing. But he went on and on about how he believes like humans, we're designed to like cultivate stuff and that's what we're doing. We're creating AI and this AI is actually probably what aliens are and it's actually, you know, probably telling us what it means to be human and Maybe that's what we're designed to do, to build all this technology to like sure. kind of transcend ourselves and all this stuff. Um, but what I noticed in how he was talking about it, it sounded like a master narrative, almost like a myth, sure. you know, that like kind of can govern all of his thinking, all of, uh, it can provide an explanatory thread for human existence. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it's not just, not just looking for scientific answers, but we're looking for existential answers, metaphysical answers, these quite big life questions. And some people turn to 
the, the alien conversation to try to answer those. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really appealing, I think, today because it blends transcendence, like something we don't understand that's beyond us, with technology and technological advancement mm. and science. Yeah. Like, it really blends those two things together and it becomes a really powerful narrative to explain things. So I, I mentioned this because um, this is what humans do. We make sense of the world through story. We crave this master story and the ideology of aliens can possibly fill that void for people and we need to be aware of that. Yeah. Um, and then on the other end of that, we need to recognize that it's an insufficient master story. It is extremely lacking in benevolence, goodness, love. It has nothing on the good news of Jesus as a master story. And um, one, I think there's more truth claim to the story of Jesus, but in terms of what occupies a master story in our consciousness, I think the story of the gospel is so much better than the alien master story. Yeah, and there's a big difference also in the sense that the meta narrative presented by scripture is of a God who reveals himself, who Mm. discloses himself um, in various ways, but most fully in the person of Christ who enters in. Whereas a lot of these meta narratives about aliens and extraterrestrial life, I mean, it's, it's, oh, it feels much more like, um, like they're hiding themselves or trying to to not be discovered or that it's very sinister secretive um, yeah secretive conspiratorial mm-hmm. um, and so there's almost like a dishonesty to it um that I think also separates these stories but yeah I think you're right that I mean especially in a postmodern world right over the past um few decades we've We've grown in our hunger for a meta story, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just if you're just watching, you know, the films that we create, that Hollywood creates, um, and how many of them are designed to to explain, to or to present a an alternate reality where uh, everything is explained by, you know, the, whether it's the existence of aliens or um, some secret right yep. society that determines the course of human history or i mean you could look at all kinds of different books and films and shows that that are looking for these meta narratives and so yeah i think you're right that our culture is ripe for mm-hmm. this conversation and hungers for it yeah. and so if we can learn to to kind of shift the conversation and steer it and validate people's people's hunger for mm. a meta narrative but also present what we believe to be the true master story and yeah. the best master story yeah. that that God is interested in redeeming this world yeah. through his son and and creating a people for himself. Yeah, that's really good. So there you go. Aliens as an opportunity for the gospel right there. <laughs> wow. There we, we did go. It. We've arrived at the great place to end. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just justified my little hobby here for <laughs> several months. No, it's been interesting to to hear from you as you've gone through the journey. Yeah, and I, uh, thanks for doing all the all the research and and presenting it to us. Yeah, happy to do it. Hopefully, it's beneficial to uh, ministry laborers, and uh, we'll see we'll see you next time, I guess. Yeah, thanks for listening.
that concludes our episode and thanks again for listening. The Learning Laborers exist to create an intentional space for ministry experience and scholarship to overlap. We want to thank everyone who supports us and helps make the podcast possible. And if you are interested in supporting these efforts, check out our Patreon, where you can join us by giving as little as $3 per month. Our hope is that more laborers, more ministry leaders, can feel resourced to point people to Jesus through their study of Scripture. Continue to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts.